Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by TireRack.com and by RockAuto.com. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. And welcome everyone to MotorWeek podcast number 135. That's the golden tones of Alec Webb, uh, our announcer. Thank you, Alec. And welcome everyone to another one of our... Um, Chats, I guess, is the uh, the what they would call chit chats. Oh, all we need is a fireside around our table today. No fire, maybe in our bellies. I hope a little bit. Writer, producer Brian Robinson. Oh, he's always fired up. Can't <laughs> I was you tell? More of that. Yeah, it was like okay. I was talking about fires and stuff. I, I can't break the brakes. But that's Ben. Ben Davis, our road test producer. Good he's to see always you, kind you, of fired up. You, you, and you, and I've had too much coffee, so this should be cool. <laughs> Assistant producer Greg Carlos. That is me. And our writer Patrick Lucas. Cheers, everybody. And if you're wondering, uh, we're all on the in the Baltimore area, and we're all sick and tired of digging ourselves oh, out of a lot of snow. So this is a, a good respite to have a, a chance to uh, talk with you today. And we'll have our lightning round, a viewer question. Maybe from the snow, there'll be a couple of rant and raves. I, I think I could come up with yeah, a couple. Yeah, I think everybody's just boiling about everything at this point. And, uh, but we want to talk about, we, we just got back from our winter testing session, which we do at a racetrack called Roebling Road, and it's right outside of Savannah, Georgia, and the lovely town of Bloomingdale, Georgia. And we had a chance to go down with some very, very hot and interesting cars this year. We're going to start the show off by talking about well, really, three of them. But let's start with the car that was kind of the star of the track, I think, and that was the Dodge Viper ACR, uh, which is their club racer. Uh, Did we vote that the star? I, well, you know, I, th- I think, you have, considering uh, the all the support group that was set with the car, it kind of... Uh, oh, in uh, that case, yeah, it definitely. kind of was the center of attention. It was certainly laying down profile. lap times that no one else could touch, so yeah. in that yeah. regard. Yeah. We unofficially, or we shouldn't say we, the uh, one of the folks that came with the car unofficially set a, a track record on street tires. Uh, knocked, uh, I think, about, uh, what... Two or three seconds off of the best times that we've had down there, and we've had some pretty good times down there. What do you think? Special Viper? Did it really? Does it require all this attention? Oh, for sure. Yeah, the ACR, you know, stands for American Club Racer, and it's exactly that. It's uh, a uh, car you can just go into your Dodge dealer and buy strictly to go racing. It's, I mean, you can still drive it on the street, yeah, but it's not really made for that. Um, it's made to be on the track. There's no engine upgrades, but uh, it's got huge brakes, ton of aero treatments, and an all-new uh, shocks and suspension setup. So uh, three-way, yeah. three-way racing harness. Oh and, yeah, okay. five-way. Is it five-way? Yeah. So yeah, it's just made uh, go club racing. Now it really, it, it really is reasonably docile on the street but to actually when the team that was there with the car put all the aero uh, accoutrements on the car and took a couple of things off too um can you is it really a car you think that could be driven you know i wouldn't say every day but say weekends on the street was it that's yeah with civilized if you got the suspension adjusted for street use and the front splitter and rear diffuser are removable Mm -hmm. so you can take those off it's no different pretty much yeah it's no different than driving any other viper on the street is there's some less sound deadening and uh 
Okay. I was going to say, like, the biggest thing you probably have to put up with is just the fanfare that comes along with it. I mean, every stop sign you're at, there's, I mean, you could cause an accident with the amount of people who stop and try and take pictures and stuff. You know, the, the Viper is scheduled to uh, go away in 2017, although there's already rumors that there'll be a successor car coming down the line. I wonder if this, I mean, the question everyone's asking is whether this is going to be the ultimate current generation Viper or not. What else could they do to it? Oh, they could certainly put more motor under the hood. Not physically bigger, but they could get more horsepower out of the engine. All we drive. Oh. Yeah, I don't think that's in the cards. Although it, it certainly probably could use it, given how much torque it has to later. I don't know, but it's the, the amount of downforce that that car produces. I mean, it's you, pretty if, amazing. If you push it the right way, and I mean, a lot of us aren't nearly as talented as the guy they had sent out, but he was pushing it. I mean, he didn't really seem to lose much traction at all. If you know how to treat it right. I mean, now, you know, that was one of the points that uh, FCA made, that this took extra chutzpah, I guess, bravery, in order, bravery <laughs> yeah. to push that car through uh, essentially like a sound barrier wall to where it would really perform. Mm-hmm. Did anybody at this table feel like they did that? Yeah, for sure. But it it's mainly comes if you've driven Vipers before and you know that there's a really sharp edge that you're going to fall off if you push the thing. Where is this thing? You know, it just didn't have that. If you've never driven a Viper before, it probably wouldn't be a big deal to you. But uh, it just had way, way, way more grip than, you know, any other Viper you've ever you, driven. You got through that fear factor. Yeah. yeah. The thing just, no matter how hard, you know, I wouldn't, no matter how hard you pushed it, it, it stuck, no problem. Where, where the Viper, if you haven't driven one, they're traditionally extraordinarily tail happy. They look like a push mower with that rear wing on the back of the so big. Well, I've forgotten how much downforce he told me it generated. I had it was like twelve hundred or something. Yeah. Like that. It's, it's it's like it was a lot. A, it's over a ton. I know that. Yeah, well, over a ton. Wow. Or, one point five or something like that. Yeah, wow. he's hardcore. Yeah, I thought you would that was, think that it would. The mounts would push through the deck lid. How could the, <laughs> the mounts that hold the wing on? I guess creating that. Is it overall downforce? All I think, the, oh, yeah, all overall. The, and yeah. it's like 1.5 Gs capable in the quarter. Maybe that's, that's what I'm insane. thinking of the 1.5. I'll take years off your life pulling that. We had some pretty impressive uh, cars at Roebling this year, and I have to say that was really uh, a car that yeah. did actually turn more heads. I feel like any other year we probably would have easily named that one the star, yeah. but you're right. We did have a lot. Moving on to two cars that are a little bit more accessible, uh, we yeah. had a pair of CTS, uh, or should say a pair of Cadillac V-Series cars. We had a CTS-V and an ATS-V. We had the two automatics. How did they differ? How mu- Did you feel like they were from the same stable as all the hoopla? I mean, we've given rave reviews to both cars before. Uh, I enjoyed my limited time in both of them. I find them incredibly civilized and, and good motors on each, but... You're the guys who really rung them out on the track. What would you think? Yeah, that's the thing. Maybe they're too civilized. I mean, they both have serious power, uh, the ATS with the Turbo 6 and the CTS with the you know V8. But uh, yeah, CTS sounded yeah. awesome, I think. Yeah. Well, it, it sounds awesome outside the car. Inside the car, you can barely hear mm. barely hear the engine. So uh, That's the classic GM <laughs> taking out every possible sound on the cabin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe, I don't know, for outright track performance um, – <laughs> Maybe they're too civilized, but I don't see too many people, these buyers, doing in track days anyway. So, Do you think, though, they warrant the uh, the reputation we and others have been giving them as being, uh, if not on par, darn close to the best that, say, the Germans can produce? I would say for sure. Yeah, yeah they're, they're knocking on the door yeah, at the very least. 
You know, what bothers me about the uh, the V-Series uh, a little bit is really has nothing to do with the cars themselves. I, I wonder if they're getting as much notice as they should because so many people these days are not buying cars. I mean, you know, everywhere you turn, everybody wants to talk about SUVs, and that's all they want to talk and about. And now that there's performance SUVs, you know, at least the Germans are really on top of that. Yeah, yeah and I think that, that in that area with the new um, – uh, SUV from Cadillac, what the CT5? You know, they may have maybe a while before they get into that vote. But I don't know. A super high performance SUV doesn't has never made that much sense to me anyway. But you know, I think GM's just they got so much new out right now, especially in performance with the Z06 and Camaro. I mean, I'm sure this stuff tends so, to get lost. Did you feel the character of the two cars? Was different. In other words, okay, you got the two cars. They're they're from basically, you know, they're from the same brand, although their roots are different. Did you feel that the cars were kin, or did you feel like since one's got a Corvette motor and one's got a six, that they were really different animals? I felt that they were. I think they had the same basic principle down. Um, I would say that the ATS was more like track oriented, like road course oriented. And I felt like that was really locked down. Not to say the CTS wasn't, but the CTS was really a monster down the straights with that supercharger. And the, yeah. just the whine of the supercharger was a much different experience for me driving that one. So, I mean, it just really depends what you want. you want to go fast in a straight line or do you really want to have more agility yeah, in the which, corners? So I think there was enough of a differentiation there. The other side of the table has been kind of quiet. Yeah, really. That's because we're not complaining about it. <laughs> yeah. uh, maybe, maybe. Uh, I would say maybe the uh, ATS, the twin turbo six nature, would be more com- more comparable to um, three series BMWs and stuff like that. Just because that's, most of your European exactly offerings right. are turbo sixes, twin turbo sixes, um, and the CTS is more straight up American in your face Mustang Corvette, but only you know big enough to take five people. Patrick, you're you're you're. You own a German sedan. I do. So what do you think? Not a performance, but still, you know, you you're what you are attuned to how they design and living with one of their products every day. What do you say? Button in the stop button. Um, I I really like the uh, CTSV, which is surprising. Interesting, because I I don't usually like big sedans. Hey, I wouldn't have guessed that for you. Um, but yeah, I think Ben and I were talking when we. Really clean these glasses over there. Um, <laughs> when we were uh, going to dinner one night, um, we were talking about how the CTS is like really like a sleeper. Um, doesn't really look that menacing until you get really up close to it. But once you hear it and you drive it, it's ridiculous. I mean, Where'd you guys go? So much power. <laughs> you were probably there. Was it good? We went where we all went. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I really enjoyed the CTS. The, um, the ATSV, I always liked. And we had it in here with the manual. I really loved that. Um, the automatic. Uh, it didn't really do it for me, but it did feel very nimble and surprisingly quick. Um, so, yeah, I enjoy both of them, and I would have no problem picking it over a German. I mean, they're both on the same chassis, basically, now, and so they have a similar feel. Just the supercharged V8 is a big differentiator. I thought that was CTS a huge feature. difference. I mean, it just it, it puts a lot more weight over the front end, but gosh, down the straight. Okay, well, I think we've beat those three to death. Let's move on now to our lightning round. Our panelists uh, have two minutes to debate the trending automotive topic that we're going <laughs> to cough up here in just a second. And at the end of that two minutes, uh, Patrick will hit the bell, and we Ooh. may or may not stop at Turn that point. All right, we are recording this about uh, two weeks before the Super Bowl. 
What do you think the role of automobile ads uh, on TV play during the Super Bowl and in general? Uh, what's the best way for automakers and, for that matter, dealers to advertise today to get people's attention? Because you know, say I'll, going in, automakers will make up a huge percentage of the Super Bowl ads. Uh, local dealership ads are something in the order of 60% of all the uh, local advertising content. Is that still smart? I think it's necessary. Um, I don't think they're as big of a deal as they were years ago. I think you still have to make an effort. You can't just go into the Super Bowl and say, you know what, we're we're going to save the money. That's been tried. And just use Twitter and Facebook and whatever else, you know. I think that you still have to at least make an effort to put out a good commercial because think about it. It's the most watched event. Not only that, chances are your whole family is going to be together at one time in front of the TV, and that way, where's your company? Everybody can wave. Oh, honey, I like that car. Oh, yeah, yeah, me too. Let's get it. You know, it's uh, (laughs) it's that one time when everybody sees it at once. I mean, yeah, they certainly generate a lot of uh, buzz, and like, I I guess it kind of carries over now with they advertise and then they advertise like stuff on Twitter, like hashtags and stuff like that. So it spills over into social media, which is. I guess where the biggest amount of advertising comes from. So I guess it does work. And, and not only that, uh, now with social media, you that same commercial will get tons of play, yeah, like exactly. even more so than it would if it YouTube, just ran on TV. Yeah, this. So yeah, now you say, YouTube. oh, I like that commercial. Got I want to go find it. And it's so easy YouTube to find hits. now, and you'll get so many hits. And leading up to uh, the Super Bowl and afterwards, you know, there'll be all sorts of discussions on all sorts of media platforms. Uh, which were the best ads? What mm-hmm. did you think of so-and-so's ads? Uh, I mean, you know, they'll all be up there for you to judge basically before the Super Bowl starts, or at least most of them. Didn't Cadillac reveal a car last year? Then wasn't that the uh, CT60 years, years ago? Yeah, ago. like well, well, nobody... CT60 did. Then they yeah. did Maser- the... Maser- Maserati debut the Ghibli. Yep, the Ghibli. They yeah. Did. Yeah. 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 I remember years ago, um, Kia did... did the Optima, and it was the aliens coming down right. from space. Uh, Chrysler did. The, that that's the one, one I'm thinking of. They did the 200 with them, or not? Oh, that's right. With Molly Crew. Uh, no, it was the Made in Detroit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And actually, when they were just doing their turnaround, the import import from yeah. Detroit, and that and that brings up an, an interesting question because the, it seems to me that maybe since since Super Bowl ads are all about image, I wonder if sometimes it's not better to make them pure image plays, like in the case of uh, of. FCA before it was FCA, Chrysler was turning around and they used it as an announcement that they were back, you know, and even if they didn't have a car that anybody cared about yet. Uh, so it is an all image play. I've been critical in the past thinking it's a waste of money, but all you got to do is look at the companies that just, you know, skyrocket once they've, nobody's ever heard of them. They run a Super Bowl ad and I think more more times than not, they do pretty well by it. Slightly off topic, what do you think about commercials that, like, their only point is to get you then to go to the website? Like, they show, like, half uh, a commercial only, so to find out what yeah. happened, go to... It's fine, I guess, yeah. for anybody a lot younger than I am. But, you know, a lot of people, as you get on in years, they become less connected from technology. And aren't you leaving people out of that yeah. video? <clears throat> yeah. I personally that was don't fun. like that. That yeah, was fun. We should also thing. talk sometime about whether or not local... Car ads, uh, dealership ads, do any good or not? Break when they, it down. When they, save five, it when they about time. five of them in they a row, save that yeah. for the rent and raise. Yeah. All right, let's move on now to our viewer question. Kirby has this one, and it's a good one. 
he wants some advice on run-flat tires. He says, I don't like them for the following reasons. They ride harder. They often can't be repaired. They are expensive. They don't last as long as conventional tires. You're out of luck if the nearest service station is 50 miles away when you get a puncture over 50 miles. What is the truth, and what are your thoughts about run flats? Well, I think you pretty much summed up. I don't know well, if he wants advice. He just wants us to yeah. agree that they. Yeah. they I agree that with you. Yeah. You know, a couple. I'll make a couple points. I think we all, Kirby, basically agree with you on the OEM stuff that we've seen, and you should make one more point that if if a car's got OEM run flats, generally you cannot put another tire on that rim. It, uh, or if you do, you screw up uh, some of the electronics in the car because of the uh, sensors uh, involved with them. So I do th- know for a fact that most of them you can drive more than 50 miles. They just do that 50-mile <laughs> limit on it to keep you from going crazy. How many miles did you do? <laughs> uh, I know somebody that's going on put 6, like 1,000 uh, or more miles on I have a friend. Here we go. But – Excuse me. There is a new tire that is trying to change all of these negative perceptions. It's been out, oh, a year or so. It's called the Bridgestone Drive Guard. And where cars that had run flats are supposed to be replaced with run flats and you can't put normal run flats on a car that didn't come with run flats, this is a tire designed for cars that don't come with run flats. Uh, uh, Our... uh, Folks at uh, Tire Rack have looked at the tire. They actually like it. Uh, It supposedly has touring tire tread and ride qualities. I've driven on them briefly. They don't seem nearly as hard as some of the things that uh, we've seen OEM-wise. My only – they're still expensive. um, And my only other problem with this tire is that they don't have a whole lot of tire sizes. It's relatively limited. So, Kirby, if you're listening to this – Go check out the Bridgestone Drive Guard. Take a look at that because that seems to be the first run flat that might break the mold and that just about anybody can buy. Otherwise, I think we pretty much agree with you. Yeah, well, I would say the ride quality's gotten better. I mean, the original run flats, they were just normal tires with super stiff sidewalls. Now they're, they've kind of incorporated the run flat technology into stuff like, uh, I think, what, in the Honda mm-hmm. minivan, stuff like that, stuff with decent sidewalls still. So the ride quality, I don't think, is, is well, bad in all of them. But, boy, do uh, we hear from people when they come time to replace, have to replace them, and they can't put anything else on unless they buy new wheels. Uh, okay, let's move on. Rant and raves. Ah, all right, we, we had one little rant. How about it when you're watching TV and you have six local dealership commercials in a row? And – Different brands, different dealerships, and you have to wonder, if I own that car dealership, do I honestly think I'm getting my money's worth by having my ad put up against everybody else's? And as a viewer, it gets very tiring, but that just continues the previous conversation. Anybody got anything else? We've had all our snow days. (laughs) How about the way drivers drive in snow or lack of it, lack of talent? You going to drop your rent, man? No, go, go. About the snow, I I did not witness anything too horrible. i got to say, I think everyone was pretty well behaved. Boy, I I nearly got broadsided coming out of my development, you know, four or five foot drifts, and uh, a neighbor just shot out of his driveway. We couldn't see, you know, the street, and, you know, two seconds, and he would have been into me. But anyway, it's like, come on, folks. Rant and Rave, you had something else you wanted to talk about? Uh, Sure. Something totally off topic. Good. Uh, I already know that Brian Robinson does not agree what? with me. Uh, blind spot monitor indicators. Some of them are on the mirror themselves in the 
outside yep. upper corners. Yep. Some of them are on the inside pillar. Right. Um, I think there should be like a standardized position for them. And somebody brought up the point that just because we drive a lot of different cars, that we're more prone to noticing those differences and getting mixed up between them. I guess if you drive the same car every day, you'll know where they are. But don't but, you think some of them are more noticeable than yeah, others? Yeah, I like them when they're in the mirror because that way you, you're forced to look at the mirror and you see the light too. With the ones on the pillars, like you see the light on the pillar, you might not necessarily even look at the mirror. I like the one on the pillars, but yeah, to each his own. Like Volvo, they're on the pillars. Do you want to have it with or without a uh, chime? In other words, I like a beep too. Yeah, I like a beep. When you put the blinker on. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of cool. I mean, is there ever going to be a time, though, that there is standard blind spot locations? Or, Not I mean, unless the government you, gets involved. You have to do like yeah, an actual yeah. study and say like where the definite best location is. Right, and then you get you know designers hamstrung by they have to put it in a certain spot, and then they get us complaining how every car looks the same when it does because of all the safety regulations everyone has to follow. I will say that I think when they when the uh, audible note has been turned off, I tend not to see them if they're – I tend not to see them, period. It's like usually the light flashing by itself isn't enough. It's okay. Uh, I don't know. I, 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 so far, I don't particularly have a favorite about where you put them. recently we had a car with a heads-up display. I think it was a – that Genesis that we had. Yeah. Where they would come up, it would actually come in, up in the heads up, too. Like that, yeah, too. That was in the left good. corner and the right corner. That was really cool. Yeah. Classic. The, um, that plus all of the lane keep uh, systems, we're getting to a point, though, that if you don't drive a car a lot, and a lot of us spend limited time in, in each of the vehicles, all the different uh, noises and all, you don't really <laughs> interpret them. You're not like, quite what am sure. I doing wrong? What am I doing right. wrong? Where is that coming from? And by that time, it's probably too late. We had a pilot. Remember, we had a pilot, mm-hmm. and then some random chime kept going off. That's we right. have a pilot now. We, we have a long-term pilot, pilot. No. And I still haven't figured it out. I drive it, and there's is some, it lane keeping? Assist? I don't know. Nothing. There's no visual indicator it, that pops up at it all. It happened to me today, coming back in, and I think it was a proximity uh, on the right side, basically, because we had a wall of snow. I was okay. going by, and I think that was saying, but, I'm, got but there was nothing there. I've got it like driving on the highway. I've heard it before. Yeah, I. I Vol- you know, it's funny because I had that same situation in the Volvos that we had. Because I was driving them, and there was this, like, really, really pleasant noise that kept happening. I'm like, oh, that's kind of nice. But it, it wasn't deterring me from doing it. So I'm, like, figuring out, like, am I losing, like, getting out of my lane? And it turns out it was I was getting out of my lane. But, um, yeah, it was actually really, really pleasant. First right. thing I do is pleasant warning turn off yeah. lane keep. Do you guys ride with lane keep assist? Not if it's active. Active is terrible. Yeah. I hate the warnings. I, I leave it on sometimes when I'm on a long cruise where you – situations where you might zone out a little bit. But around town, it's just a pain in the neck. So. <laughs> All right. That was good. We're going to wrap up our Motor Week podcast, number 135. I want to thank everybody around the table. Brian Robinson, Ben Davis, Greg Carlos, and Patrick Lucas. Our audio engineer, Jim Bigwood, who always strives to make us sound great. Our podcast creator, Bob Mixer. And, of course, Patrick Lucas is also our podcast producer, otherwise known as the guy with the bell. Ugh, lame. Well, that was pretty lame. <laughs> but hope you'll join us again for more podcasts. And, by the way... Be sure to watch Motor Week on your public television stations around the country, also on the Velocity Cable Networks. Check our website at motorweek.org for 
<laughs> All Things Motor Week, our YouTube uh, channel. Basically, if you've got a computer or you've got a phone or you've got a TV, you can find Motor Week, and we hope to see you again and hear and let you hear us again very soon. Everybody else have anything else to say? I thought you were going to drop some real major news there. I was like, am I fired? Let my nightmare come true. All right, Jim, take us out. Good night from Owings Mills. You have been listening to the podcast of Motor Week, television's original automotive magazine. Motor Week is made possible by TireRack.com and by RockAuto.com. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at MotorWeek.org. And watch Motor Week, television's longest-running automotive magazine series, each week on your local PBS station.